0: ladies and gentlemen good morning scott Colborn, with exploring unexplained phenomena broadcasting from southeast lincoln it's 37 degrees a light mist is falling we've had uh, 55 inches of snow this snow season and uh, four inches roughly away from the all-time record set back in 1914 uh, we're going to get some rain today, so everybody's concerned about uh, their, uh, their roofs, rightfully so, with all the, the ice and snow on top of them. So hopefully we all fare through the weekend pretty well. Next week, uh, I think Wednesday, forecast about 57 degrees. da <laughs> 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 da da-da-dun. da is no place like Nebraska. Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. We're going to start off with Charlene. And the Capital Humane Society, she should be right there. Hi, Charlene.
1: Hi, how are you?
0: Well, thank you. I'm flying solo today. We've got uh, our producers and co-hosts on other assignments, so it is moi. (laughs) (laughs) And you're
1: doing an excellent job.
0: (laughs) The team of me, myself, and I. Tell us what's going on at the Capital Humane Society.
1: Uh, we have great animals looking for homes, both dogs, cats, and critters. We've got some cute little guinea pigs, some cockatiels, and rabbits all looking for homes. Uh, we will be having our Tales and Trails Pet Walk and Festival. It'll be coming up in May, May 18th, and you can register now and learn information about how to win prizes um, on our website at it's just a It's a neat event and a very important one to raise funds for our work.
0: And how about fundraisers coming up?
1: Uh, We do have other fundraisers coming up as well, and you can uh, visit our website to get some details about that. But uh, we do have the, uh, just clicking here, I want to make sure I get the date right, uh, the Dine-In fundraiser, and that's March 13th. um, And that is going to be uh, coming up. Uh, at the Don and Millie's location, um, either one of those, and it's from 4 to 9. And you mentioned Capital Humane Society, and they'll donate 20% of your ticket. You
0: mentioned Capital Humane Society. They threw a pie in your face. No. <laughs> hey, um, have you noticed driving around Lincoln that we've got potholes?
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I do try to avoid those.
0: Do you know that there's are some uh, fishing clubs in Lincoln that are petitioning the city of Lincoln to actually stock those potholes. <laughs> and so you may see people with lawn chairs, you know, kind of on the curb there, like fishing and stuff.
1: Yeah, I guess that's one way to deal with it.
0: <laughs> okay, uh, I've got cats for adoption pulled up here. And who do you want to start with?
1: We are going to start with Honey Bee. And she is a shy little gal. She looks, you can see in her her photo there, she's kind of tucked away. She looks framed, uh, the way the little hidey hole is framing her face. She's two years old, a spayed female, an orange tabby with white, um, just a bashful beauty, ready to find a quiet home with nice people who will adore her.
0: Uh, Honeybee, of course, we're looking at her picture, So Can You. It's capital, org. And uh, what a great cat. Honey Bee is joined by...
1: Next up, we have a perfect pair, and that's Shiloh and Prince. And they are black and white, domestic, short hairs, a year old. They're neutered male, and they're brothers, and they're very bonded. You'll see them just headbutt. It's so precious. They're just super close, and we want them to stay together and find a great new home together.
0: Shiloh and Prince. I spelled Shiloh wrong, but Shiloh and Prince... Perfect pair. We've got them there at Capital Humane Society. Good-looking cats. And should we pick another entry here?
1: Sure. Why don't you pick one?
0: Okay, let me scroll up here. And let's pick Lennon.
1: Lennon he's got such a fancy little hairdo <laughs> so he has the lion cut so he was a little bit matted so we are going to giving him a fresh start he's an orange tabby with long hair although right now he does have that special uh, grooming um but it will grow back soft and uh shiny he's about a year old uh ready to make a family smile from ear to ear so <laughs> he is eager to meet you
0: so there's two ways I can go with this. I can either say that, um, you know, if, if there's a family out there who's got a male by the name of John, this would be a really fun cat. Uh-huh. And also for the older people listing, if there are sisters in a family, you could have uh, the Lennon sisters.
1: <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Such cute cats. Take a look, folks, at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. And... Uh, this is Charlene and she's gonna tell you about hours open today and tomorrow.
1: Our Pilac Pet Adoption Center is open on Saturday and Sunday from eleven to five thirty.
0: Okay, let's let's do dogs for adoption now.
1: Okay. And we will start with Lucky. And Lucky is a good-looking uh, Australian cattle dog mix, about nine years old, but doesn't act like that at all. He loves to play, plays tug-of-war, and just has a really young attitude, um, is looking for a home um, where he can meet the other dogs and children to make sure that everybody gets along fine. Uh, but he's a very intelligent dog, ready to um, find a family who appreciates him.
0: The Luxter. Pictures up at capitalhumanesociety.org. That looks like some snow.
1: Yeah. So I'm lucky. <laughs>
0: okay, now who's next?
1: Then we have a perfect pair for dogs, too, and it's Bella and Takeda. And they are little chihuahuas. One has longer hair, and one is short-haired. They are a perfect pair because they're very bonded, and so they can be shy without each other. They're much more comfortable together. So they are looking for a home with people who are looking for twice the fun. Um, If you're looking for little dogs who will be very charming companions, please ask about these two.
0: (laughs) Both those names uh, by themselves were even fun to say, Bella, Chiquita.
1: (laughs) I like them too.
0: And uh, how about baby girl? We need to get her adopted.
1: Sure. She's here waiting for just the perfect family, a very intelligent shepherd pit bull mix, about two years old. Uh, When she likes you, she likes you very much. She happens to like me, (laughs) and (laughs) we go out on walks, and she knows how to sit and stay and leave it, even if it's a really tasty treat. Uh, So she is looking for someone who's as smart as she is and has time to provide her with the training she needs.
0: What are... What are adoption fees for a great dog like Bella? Uh,
1: so the, when you actually, when you get a, a couple dogs, so when you get Bella and Chiquita together, the second um, adoption fee would be half off. Um, but for dogs in that age range, it's $125. So um, again, that's how much the adoption fee there might be, like a rabies deposit and license fee and things like that included. So hey,
0: Baby girl's about the same, right?
1: Right, yes.
0: Okay, so anybody listening that is interested in baby girl, I will kick in, personally, out of my pocket, $50 towards your adoption fee.
1: That is so generous.
0: Okay, folks. Great dog. You heard it from here. Now, you can't get a, a whole bunch of dogs and subtly name them baby girl. <laughs> this, is, this is the one and only baby girl on the website. You can take a look at her picture. And, uh, Charlene, if, if you uh, are lucky enough to adopt her, you let me know. Uh, this weekend, I will make good on that. So anybody at, interested in a cool dog, um, if I didn't have a dog, I would be adopting Baby Girl.
1: Oh, yeah, you're very kind. And she does need to be seen by appointment. Um, so you would give us a call at our Pylock Pet Adoption Center, and that number is listed on our website. And we would um, have you uh, meet her with our um, operations director, and she'd tell you all about her.
0: Okay. Uh, so hours again open today and tomorrow.
1: We are open at our PyLock Pet Adoption Center today and tomorrow from 11 to 530.
0: I got out yesterday and dug sort of channels in the snow from my downspouts, <laughs> thinking if we had upwards of several inches of rain that, you know, it's got to have some place to go.
1: That's true. Um,
0: but there's still, you know, ice and snow in the downspouts, and I can't I can't get that out. So we're going to hope that, uh, that we have this nice warm-up that gradually loosens that up and and nature's going to take its course. So
1: I'm looking forward to spring, like you.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's coming up. I, yep. I, we are going to have a spring because it's listed in the calendar.
1: Uh, exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, we sure appreciate you, Charlene, and all the folks out there. Thank you so much for all your great work.
1: Thank you for everything. Have a great day.
0: And remember, folks, I'm good for my word here. Somebody adopts baby girl this weekend. I'm going to kick in part of that adoption fee. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Charlene.
1: Have
0: a great day. Charlene and friends at the Capital Humane Society, make them the first place you go (laughs) when you want to adopt baby girl. She's out there waiting for you right now. I'm Scott Colborne flying solo here, and uh, we're going to go to music, and we'll call our friend Paula Harris someplace out that direction. We'll be back with Paula Harris. I'm Scott Colborne. Keep listening. Great program coming up. Band called Enigma from Southeast Nebraska. I'm Scott Colborne. And who comes up every second Saturday but Paula Harris? UFOs, ETs, and exopolitics. When Paula isn't in a car, an airplane, someplace in the world investigating this phenomena, she makes her home in Boulder, Colorado. And Paula, how are you this morning?
2: I'm doing. Scott, how are you? We have a sunny day here in Boulder.
0: Well, we have a, a mist. It's like primordial. You've got about three <laughs> blocks of visibility before it, it. just There's just gray mist and about 37 degrees. Hey, did you get moved? You just moved your... Uh, your yeah, lo- I, I
2: got moved. I love my new place. Congratulations. Uh, it allows me to have my files. And all my work together in one spot, and uh, I, you know, the way I work, I've got to categorize so much stuff. So, and it's got a swimming pool in front, so I can get some exercise. Oh so, my goodness! I'm really, really excited about my new place.
0: Now, I understand you have a special visitor this weekend.
2: Oh, I have a special visitor. Yeah, he's family. <laughs> um, yes, I have this weekend Paul Hynek, the son of Dr. J. Allen Hynek, was invited to speak at the University of Colorado Wittemeyer um, Room, which is the law school. And he did an amazing talk last night. But, you know, Paul is involved with the History Channel program on Project Blue Book. So everybody had questions for him and and he's so, you know, excited about all of it. And, and he talked about his dad, which was very, very, very emotional. So I think I shouldn't waste time with me. I'll pass you to Paul.
0: Oh, it's never wasting time with you, Paula.
2: <laughs> okay, hang on. This is Paul Hynek.
0: Hello. Hey, Paul, this is Scott Colbord in Lincoln, Nebraska. How are you?
3: Hi, Scott. I'm good. Thank you.
0: I was the guy that picked up your father at the Lincoln Airport to take him to the conference site. This is back in about 1983, 84. Uh And we were having a big event exploring unexplained phenomena. And uh, ABC Nightline had flown a film crew in. Um, The Nippon News Service, which is kind of the equivalent to ABC in Japan, was there with a full crew. uh, Photojournalists from all over the world... And um, so I enjoyed that car ride because it was just me and your dad in the car, and we had a chance to talk about his interest, how it was morphing and changing. He said he was becoming more and more interested in the psychic aspects of the UFO phenomenon. Right, right. And... Paul, I want to hear more from you, but may I tell you a short story? Absolutely. I think you'll really love this. Um, knowing that your dad had some Czechoslovakian background, we arranged to have... A, uh, are you,
3: you going to talk about Wilbur? Yes. Yes. I, I have a picture somewhere of him riding and sitting on top of the back of the car at the Czech Day Parade. <laughs> and he loved that. He He got a big kick out of that.
0: Well, we, uh, he, at that time, he had a, a cousin that lived in Wilbur. And we arranged ah. through the cousin um, a honorary uh, Wilbur Czech citizenship. Uh, Wilbur is known as the Czech capital of Nebraska. And uh, it's, it's like a town that you would have entered maybe 50, 75 years ago. It's almost old world, and it's, it's wonderful. I love the people of Wilbur. So they had the Wilbur Hotel, and we had arranged a dinner. And so we caravan down in a great big stretch van and some cars. There was about 20 people. And um, your dad was at the head of the table, and we were all dressed in, in suits. And it was very, very formal and just a little bit stiff because we were all in awe. Here was this guy that we had all grown up with, and here he was in the flesh, just 10, <laughs> ten feet a full away. And so um, Danny Liska, who was from Niobrara, Nebraska, and was a world adventurer, Danny broke the ice, Paul. Danny stood up on his chair at the dining room table, grabbed his mug of beer, and he bellowed out, we will all sing Czechoslovakian drinking songs. And he started singing, <laughs> your dad jumped up, the whole table, 20 people jumped up. I didn't know the words, but I just sort of went, "Yeah, right," and, and hummed along, and that was the icebreaker that we needed. Then we all took our coats off, we loosened our ties, <laughs> and it was just so much fun.
3: Oh, that's great! And did my dad know the words to the Czech drinking song? <laughs> if,
0: if if he did, I I didn't I didn't know that. Uh, uh, he 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 seemed to be singing along.
3: Because you know, <clears throat> so that's that's fantastic. Thanks so much for arranging and telling me. Because I remember him saying that he'd been the Grand Marshal of the Czech Day Parade in Wilbur, Nebraska, <clears throat> and we just thought that was the coolest thing ever. Um, and you yeah. know. He, he had a fair amount of honors and accolades, but that one, I'm telling you, that had a special place in his heart. And um, He was given know, an honorary... Checked, ki- you know, he spoke Czech until he went to kindergarten, yeah. and he never really said much about it. Um, but there were indications, I came across a letter later, that he had never really forgotten his Czech, but he would never, you know, from that generation, people just never really talked about themselves, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, they would, you know, he was an equestrian trick rider in college.
0: Oh, he does! And I found
3: that out. I'm like, holy crap, Dad! How come you never talked about it? He's like, uh, you know, I, you know, they just never bring things up.
0: I would, so I, I would wouldn't never have associated be, that with your father.
3: Maybe it was rusty, and then maybe jumped in in the later, you know, refrains for the song.
0: Well, they gave him an honorary key to the city, which is a great big key, and oh. the the mayor showed up, and it was really fun. There were. In this dining hall, there was about five tables across the way from our group of what appeared to be local people from Wilbur and from Creed in that area. And they'd been all kind of looking at our table like, who are these people? What are they doing here? (laughs) But do you know what? When we all started singing, I looked over, Paul, and I could see underneath their tables, and every single foot was tapping along to the song. Ah. (laughs) So they knew him too.
4: Wow.
0: Hey, uh, And do
3: you, do you have any pictures from that, from that dinner or for the, from the parade? Because I'll tell you that most of our family pictures burned up in a fire last oh my November. God. My brother Joel had most of, our, of my dad's pictures and his slides and all that, and they all burned up.
0: Paul, I've got my associate producer. I'm, I'm running the show by myself. She's at the front door, and I need to go unlock this. Oh, okay, okay, cool. So no problem. I'm going to be right back, and okay. instead of having dead air... I want you to tell the people listening a little bit more about your father.
3: Oh, okay. Well, I'll continue on that, on that thread. He was, uh, of the Czechness. He was, he was Joey Hynek, um, a little Czech boy from Chicago. His parents were both Czech. Um, and he grew up in Chicago and only spoke Czech until he went to kindergarten. And then he, uh, he went, to, he went to Crane Technical School, and he hated it because he was never very good with his hands. But he became co-valedictorian just through by dint of hard effort, and then went through undergraduate and graduate school at the University of Chicago in astronomy. And he one time took a trip, maybe even like in a Model T when he was a kid, from Chicago all the way up to Evanston to see the observatory at Northwestern University. So for him later to become the chairman of the Department of Astronomy at Northwestern was a really resonant moment because Mm -hmm. of that trip he had taken as a kid. Full circle. And I didn't find that out for a long time.
0: This is Paul Hynek, and uh, he's the son of Dr. Jalen Hynek, the esteemed Professor Emeritus from Northwestern. Uh, Many consider to be the father of uh, ufology. Uh, Your father... um, had a very interesting career because initially he was employed by the Air Force to ostensibly find enough information to debunk these reports. But your father being an honest guy of integrity, Paul when he saw the amount of data and the continuation, the repetition, the thousands of reports as a guy that was naturally curious, he had to say, something's going on here. This is not all hallucinations in <laughs> the planet Venus. Yes. I had a chance to talk to your, your father about the famous swamp gas quote.
3: Oh, yes. infamous.
0: do you know that uh, people don't really understand what happened there? Because your dad told me that they had arrived they had been literally up all night studying the reports, talking to witnesses. It was early the next morning. They basically came out and there was a whole bunch of reporters that began shouting stuff. And your dad said, well, there's a number of theories we're looking at. And he listed off maybe three or four theories. And then he said swamp gas. And Paul, your father said, as soon as he said that, all their eyes got big, like deers in the <laughs> headlight, and they all like turned. Saucers. And they, they, like saucers. And they started to run for the nearest phone or the nearest car, and he lost them. <laughs> he wasn't even done talking, but they, they got that sound bite. It's, you know, uh, Professor Emeritus says it's swamp gas, and yeah, so right. he was unfairly labeled with that, wasn't he?
3: Yeah, and that that was an unfortunate episode for him,
0: um,
3: and I think that's just sort of emblematic of the kind of tightrope he had to walk, of the guy who is brought in as a scientist to a military operation, mm-hmm. um, and that, that's why you know the show Project Blue Book has so much conflict because even you know I I I, I met recently Lieutenant Colonel Robert Friend who is the last mm-hmm. Air Force director of Project Blue Book who's now 99 years old. Wow. And I went to his 99th birthday party. And he was, <clears throat> amongst the four or five directors of Project Blue Book, the one that my father liked the most. He was a, an honest, inquisitive, uh, fun guy who was, who was truly an American hero. He was a Tuskegee airman and also worked on the space shuttle. And with him, my father felt he had the best possible draw he could of the various personages that could be, would be assigned to that But even then, in talking with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Friend, you could find that they would be at odds, even though they they had a lot of personal respect and friendship for each other, Mm -hmm. and that that Lieutenant Colonel Robert Friend had this sort of scientific curiosity. But he mentioned that from his point of view, his job was to first determine if a a report had legs, if it was legitimate or not. Mm -hmm. If it's not legitimate, then they discard it, and they've been able to solve another one, and the brass is happy. If they deem that it could be or is legitimate, then his next step, you know, wearing an Air Force uniform, is to try to determine if there's a risk to national security. So already you're veering from a scientist who's not concerned about that. They're concerned about, okay, can we understand it? Can we reverse engineer it? Uh, Can we replicate it? Can I publish it? Things like that. So even with a person he liked very much, you're going to have that kind of conflict. Mm -hmm. And so that was the sort of, you know, swamp gas cases and other ones where he's pressured by the Air Force to trot out an explanation, like temperature inversions in Washington in 1952. Um, That just shows that 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 situation was never a very comfortable one. Mm -hmm. And the Air Force, with Project Blue Book, certainly after the Robertson panel in 1953, Blue Book became a PR exercise, mm-hmm. not really a a deep skunk works research outfit. And that that's just sort of anathema to science just to just to come up with um you know a a factory for creating semi-plausible explanations for things uh, just to get them out of the public limelight.
0: This is Paul Hynek, the son of the late Dr. Jalen Hynek. and Paul, unfortunately, we are out of time here. Uh okay. c- could through my friend Paula could I invite you back on the show t- sometime
3: Absolutely I'm free that day <laughs>
0: <laughs> Okay well I I I will get a hold of Paula here and I'll try to work out something to get you back on here I've so much enjoyed talking with you and there are so many questions that I that I still have so uh what are okay, you sure. It'd be my pleasure What are you doing for the rest of the weekend
3: Uh we're going to Estes Park now Okay um, good to Paula's uh, uh Engaging, or um, uh, helping my interest in the paranormal, we're going to go to the Stanley Hotel. Oh, uh, sure. Which is the inspiration for The Shining. And just to get outside and get some of that cool, crisp Colorado air. Then we have another interview at some point today, and then a dinner with some other UFO friends tonight.
0: If, you, if you're hungry for peace, uh, pizza, stop at Poppy's in Estes. Poppy's is a great place, and we always Poppy's make
3: pizza. Okay. Yep,
0: we always and I've, make I've sure. been
3: told by a little birdie to tell you that I will be at the 2020 conference in Laughlin.
0: Excellent, excellent. This is the uh, StarWorks USA conference coming up. The symposium in early November. More information at StarWorksUSA.com. Uh, Paul Hynek, thank you so much for being so gracious with your time this morning. Take care. And give Paula right. my best.
3: I will. Bye-bye.
0: That was Paul Hynek. And boy, I sure enjoyed that. Uh, that was fun. Colleen is here. Good morning, Colleen.
5: Good morning, Scott. Sorry, we, sorry for arriving late. You know, the, it, it was like where we live, it was very foggy. And there's like these big puddles of water everywhere yeah. that may or may not have ice in them. So we kind of took it slowly getting here.
0: We uh, had a little bit of excitement here because for a while we were off the air, oh, no. but online our signal was okay mm-hmm. through KZUM.org. Mm-hmm. And so as I was here at the early part of the program, we sure appreciate you folks calling in. I knew that that's what you guys were trying to say. <laughs> I couldn't get the phone and, and be on mic at the same time, but we had a number of people calling in to let us know that we were off the air. Well, good news from our program director, we are back on the air that's good. And we never left the air on the Internet signal. So, you know, 89.3 FM in Lincoln and KZUM.org uh, worldwide. Um, wow, that was so fun talking to Paul Hynek. That brought back so many memories. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to hand you the slip of paper,
5: okay.
0: and we're going to have Preston Dennett up next. I'll do the bottom of the hour stuff, and we'll come back. Uh, we have a great, great show coming up with Preston Dennett. Uh, the healing power of UFOs. True accounts, three three hundred true accounts of people healed by extraterrestrials. We'll be right back. Well, to get
2: Boys of the Blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln, and KZUM HD.
6: My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model.
0: And the young me,
2: neither a role model, bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself.
0: Whether you donate
7: money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council.
0: This program is made possible in part by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.
6: The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock and one freezing cold rushing black mountain river. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore New Worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture
8: and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM.
0: Except no substitute, Mesoterra with Vic comes up here at 12 noon. A special uh, hello to my friend Dale Sabotka. And uh, Dale and I go back a few years. He's also um, an alum from Southeast High School, as am I. And Dale and I share an interest in in being curious about the world around us, and asking questions, and sometimes being okay with not having readily made answers. But that pursuit and that inquiry is what it's all about. So, Dale, it was great to talk with you again yesterday, and um, I hope that you're uh, going to be enjoying your your flight back home. He came home, and now he's going home again. (laughs) Jim Shorney is not here today. He's at a weather fest, and uh, so it's Colleen and I, and you guys and gals. Here's a program today with our main guest, Preston Dennett, that I've been looking forward to for a long time. Preston is the author of 23 books. His latest book is The Healing... Power of UFOs. 300 true accounts of people healed by extraterrestrials. Preston's first book was called UFO Healing, and that got a lot of people talking about that book. Over the years, he's had more cases, more information submitted. He's been made aware of more of these cases where people have been healed by extraterrestrials and by UFOs. And so people kept saying, it's so hard to get a copy of UFO healings. Uh, Preston, uh, you need to write a sequel or a follow-up. So this book is that, that Cousin, That Relative. It's a gorgeous book. And Preston joins us from, is it Rosetta? Is, did I pronounce that right? Rosita, okay, Rosita, California, and tell me about your cover artist. Who is this?
7: Yes, that's my dear sister-in-law. She married my older brother, and really, from day one, we've worked really closely together. We kind of joke—we're Scully and Mulder—and <laughs> uh, go out there doing first ten investigations. And she's already an accomplished artist um, when she started working with me. Uh, But, yeah, she's done most of my book covers, illustrated many of my books, and works very closely with experiencers to sort of accurately portray what they've experienced. And, uh, yeah, I'm blessed to have her working with me.
0: Colleen is here in the studio, and I'm holding up the cover of the book. Look at that, Colleen. (laughs) Isn't that just eye-catching? Boy, I guarantee guarantee that if this is on a bookshelf someplace, (laughs) people are going to walk over and want to pick it up. And you know what happens when they do? They pick this book up, and they go, oh, this thing is heavy.
5: <laughs> this yeah, is, it it this, does look heavy even from here. This like, is over 500 feel,
0: pages. You could feel the weight yeah. like, have just you, by looking at it. Preston, have you weighed one of these?
5: <laughs> no, I haven't.
0: I think, <laughs> it, I think you're probably easily at a, a pound, if not a little bit more.
7: That's yeah, a, it's definitely pretty sizable. Heavy in subject matter and heavy in size.
0: Okay, so I want you to expand upon this, but I want to go up on a little bit of a soapbox here because I think you and this book deserve it. Early on in the history of of ufology, we had more benevolent reports than antagonistic um, bad reports of our interactions with extraterrestrials. In fact, there were the term that has now come to be a kind of a derisive term, space brothers, uh, was labeled some of these early uh, individuals. Many of them looked uh, entirely human, but interacted with people here on Earth. And this goes, you know, way, way back, uh, not just to the 1940s, but way, way back beyond that. And so we had this, this friendly exchange going on, and then in about the mid to late 70s, early 80s, suddenly we had this darker thing that surfaced of abductions. And suddenly the extraterrestrials were out to get us, to enslave us, to impregnate us, to capture our eggs and semen, and to do all sorts of nefarious things. Uh, Cold, clinical, detached, robotic, uh, not interested with who we were, And these reports came to the forefront. And the media, of course, loves a bad story, loves negativity. So they captured this. And to this day, Preston, so many people think about contact as being a negative experience. Uh Uh-oh, they're going to get us. But all the while, these reports were slowly coming to the surface of people having positive benevolent interactions with extraterrestrials, and in fact, in some cases, being healed by them. And so I want to salute you uh, for putting this book out, the well-deserved sequ- sequel to your first book, UFO Healings, because it's a voice that really needs to be heard. Your book is providing a lot of needed balance, Preston. Hey, thanks. I appreciate
7: that, Nick totally agree. There's a lot of, you know, fear does sell, but uh, people who have a positive experience don't necessarily go running to therapists or UFO researchers even, because claiming you've been healed of a disease by ETs definitely opens you up to ridicule, I think, even more than perhaps, say, you know, claiming you were abducted, Mm -hmm. had a negative experience. So I think that as well sort of... Helps to keep these accounts hidden. So I'm guessing there are a lot, lot more than, you know, even the cases portrayed
4: in this book. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking it's maybe not common common, but more common even
7: than UFO researchers believe.
0: And Preston, without being conspiratorial, I want to advance the idea that during this tumultuous period of the 80s and 90s, when so many reports of negative interaction surfaced, all that reporting was being done on the honor system, which meant that with, with few exceptions, you could say anything that you wanted to, and it was taken verbatim as being the truth, which allowed government and military and PSYOPs individuals to jump in and manufacture reports that were not true. So
4: yeah, I grant, gosh, I had no idea.
0: I grant. That, yeah, I grant that there oh. were people and are people, that have had uh, traumatic negative experiences. I was a co-founder of a support group in 1988. I sat for years across the table with many of these individuals. So I am not discounting their reports. What I'm saying is that that whole database is most probably skewed because there are people vested in trying to keep this thing hushed up in a secret. And so if they manufacture reports of horrible things with ETs and UFOs, more and more people are going to want to stay away from that. I think it makes perfect sense.
7: Yeah, I agree. It's unfortunately a field that has been saturated even with disinformation reports, which makes it very difficult to get to the truth. And uh, I had no idea, really, when I started investigating UFOs that there was this cloak and dagger aspect to it. And then you have this other aspect of the population that doesn't believe
4: in UFOs, doesn't want to look at the evidence, and in fact will react somewhat
7: violently. Uh, if you try and bring up the evidence. So it's a real enigmatic field to get involved in. And uh, I noticed early on, I mean, when I first started investigating these onboard accounts, abductions, I have to say I was horrified. I'm Mm -hmm. like, wow, this is not good. (laughs) What is happening here? And it took a long, long time for me to realize that there is disinformation out there, and that contact experience is being misportrayed in a lot of ways. I don't think it's nefarious. I don't think UFOs are something to be afraid of. I do understand that people have negative encounters. I could have easily written a book about UFO injuries, because God knows there's many cases of that. Mm -hmm. I I did include a chapter. But here's a good example of how it's all skewed. Uh, The MUFON investigative, investigative journal The uh, handbook, rather, that researchers use to investigate UFO encounters Mm -hmm. has a section on medical effects. And you know what? It's called medical injuries, and there's not one mention
4: of UFO healings in there at all. Interesting. Uh, Which, I mean, that's clearly not objective.
0: You folks want to know about a famous UFO healing? I want you to think about this individual... Travis Walton Travis from his own mouth has said that the reason why he was probably picked up is because when that energy beam hit him it probably either almost or indeed killed him and they brought him on board and nursed him back to health that's from Travis Walton folks
7: yeah, he actually thought he was on board a U.F. or a hospital when he was taken on board. He mm-hmm. wakes up,
4: looks around, and goes, "Oh, must be in a hospital." Uh, which a number
7: of people have said the same exact thing, which speaks again towards this medical theme that does run through these accounts. And uh, E.T.s and many people describe the inside of a UFO as looking like, you know, a hospital. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? What does that say about them? Well, it shows that certainly their doctors, many people give them that exact label. And Travis is not the only person to say his life was saved or brought back to life even. There's another lady I interviewed. She had a very severe car accident in Georgia. And, uh, when paramedics came, the emergency personnel came, they found her outside of the car and, uh, by the side of the road, they couldn't understand how she'd gotten there. And furthermore, they could not understand why she was not dead, because mm-hmm. the car was so se- severely damaged. Uh, and she didn't have a scar, not a mark on her face. Uh, she did have several you know, very severe injuries. She did have to be hospitalized and go through months of recovery. But some years later, you know, as she's realizing she's having contact, she went under regressive hypnosis and was taken back to the scene of that accident and saw that she was actually removed from the scene right after it happened by ETs, taken into a craft and healed. And they actually showed her all this and they said, You died in this accident and you were not supposed to and we're going to cure you. And they showed they showed her how they cured her brain stem, which had been like completely severed her, Oh my God base was just destroyed they healed that with just whoosh beams of light basically and told her that they couldn't heal everything for karmic reasons but they healed what they could and that she actually died in this accident and they were saving her life and they put her back at the scene of the accident and mind you the emergency personnel arrived within minutes so whatever they did they, they somehow time traveled is what she finally figured out hmm this turns up rarely, but it does turn up, and that's what happened in her case. She's not the only one who's had a car accident and was told that they actually died in that car accident
0: by the ETs. When, when you decided to, to do this book, was it because you kept opening the file cabinet and that file on the back had grown bigger and bigger and bigger, and you kept saying, I've got to do something with this information? You know, you put another report back there in that file, and it's gotten bigger. I've got to do something with this information, and so it's—it was probably a long time in coming.
7: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I wrote the first um, UFO healings in 1996, and kind of thought, "Well, I'm done with this." You know, and I don't think there's a whole lot of accounts out there, and I've got them all. Well, I couldn't have been more wrong, uh, because immediately I started getting letters and emails. Eventually. When, email came along and whenever I'd ever I go on the radio or speak at a convention or a bookstore someone would cautiously approach me after the a presentation and say you know this happened to me mm-hmm. I'm like wow you know give me your number I'd love to hear more and that was many years ago and it was just the steady stream when I first you know wrote about UFO healings I thought oh there's probably 10 20 cases I found 40. So I buckled down and I found a hundred and put that book together. Well, it just hasn't stopped, and uh, we don't know how common UFO healings are. But I'm back then. I thought it was rare. I've kind of reversed my opinion. I think it's a fairly consistent
4: feature of UFO <laughs> encounters. I know uh, Thomas Bullard was really a pioneering
7: researcher. He did a study of about 270 abduction cases early on and found. I think it was seven cases of healings. So not a whole lot. And like Bud Hopkins, I confronted him personally, said, do you get healing cases? He says, yes, but very, very rarely. And David Jacobs echoed that. Whereas John Mack said, no, you know, I think they're actually a little bit more common than that. Mm -hmm. Then along comes Edith Fiore, you know, the first PhD to write a book on abductions. And she says, no, I think they're very common fully half of the people I've worked with have had this experience.
0: Yep. You know what Edith Fury said too? <clears throat> I had a, the chance to interview her, Preston, and she said that, that she believes that virtually every single individual that she saw that had problems with drugs and alcohol were trying to self-medicate and forget an earlier, perhaps even childhood, UFO ET encounter. ETs have actually worked with people on addiction as well, so to to end
7: their addictions. I've got a number of cases like that and suicidal depression and things like this. But I think the point is this is not super rare, and I'm guessing that a lot of people have the experience and just don't realize it, don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. ETs aren't like you know, look at us, we healed you. They're not looking for you know a paycheck. They're not looking to go on TV. They're Actually, the opposite. They want to do this in a very laissez-faire manner, um, covertly as much as possible, because they don't seem to want to influence society and uh, our progress,
0: and are letting us learn at our own level. We'll but come but back and time, uh, we'll, we'll come back and talk more about this. I want to talk about how you laid the book out and some of these cases here. Um, It's so good to connect with you, and I've been looking so forward to this conversation, Preston. Um, I've spent, I tell you what, some late nights this week trying to get this book read. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, is it 307 or 309 cases in here?
4: Um, I believe
7: it's 309.
0: And this runs over 500 pages. There is something going on, folks. If, if Preston only had one case of a healing associated or caused by the ETs, the extraterrestrials, okay, but this is 309. And I'm going to come back and talk about some reasons why we think that's entirely too low. PrestonDennett.com or... I don't know how he does this, but just type in Preston Dennett to your favorite search engine. It's gonna, he's gonna pop right up. Preston Dennett, along with Colleen and Scott Colborne and you guys and gals, we are exploring unexplained phenomena. Stay tuned.
2: Hey, the voice of the blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM H D.
6: Support for KZUM comes from family-owned and operated Butheris Maser, & Love Funeral Home at 40th and A Streets in Lincoln, offering services that allow families to plan ahead according to personal wishes, chapel facilities to accommodate all faiths, and
0: grief support materials for the family following a service. More information is available at 402-488-0934 and online at bmlfh.com.
6: And by... The Haymarket Farmer's Market thanking its patrons and vendors for this past season. Vendor inquiries for the 2019 season at 402-435-7496 and lincolnhaymarket.org. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress, but big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me
2: neither a role model, bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray, and Ray is the reason that this 7-year-old grows up to be a role model himself.
7: Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council.
8: Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM.
0: Scott Colborn with Colleen and our special guest, Preston Dennett. This gorgeous book is called The Healing Power of UFOs, 300 True Accounts, of people healed by extraterrestrials. And I congratulate Preston again in the writing of this. So I want you folks out there to imagine that you've had a UFO experience and maybe even a healing. Who are you going to talk to? You've already kind of tested the water with maybe a family member and you've had maybe a raised eyebrow, and maybe even a gentle but firm warning to maybe not talk about this to anybody else because of the fear of the ridicule. You may have a job or position that you don't want to imperil by acknowledging this publicly. So you have that to kind of work through, okay? You also have, in many cases, and Preston, I want you to chime in here, there's almost a, an energy in the experience that I have called the prohibition against knowing and talking about it. And that could be something that is either psychologically a byproduct of this interaction in a very different, strange environment, kind of one of our own defense mechanisms, or it could be something that may be a post-hypnotic command that you're not supposed to think about this, you're not supposed to remember it, you're not supposed to talk about it, certainly don't bring it up. So there is this prohibition against knowing. You have this enculturation in our society of people that are made to look like drunks and crackpots and perverts and weirdos if you talk about this experience. So it can be very difficult, can it, Preston, to try to get these reports, this information?
7: Oh, yeah. There's a lot of stress on people who have a UFO experience, positive or negative, Um, coming from all different directions, from the media, from government, from Society, from people at work, from family members. Often, when I speak to someone who's had really extensive encounters, they guiltily admit that they didn't even share it with their spouse mm-hmm. or you know their best friend. Or so there's absolutely a ridicule factor, um, which you can't blame the witness for because there's an active cover-up on this subject. Mm-hmm. There really is a lot of money being thrown towards
4: this subject to make it look ridiculous. Thankfully, it's failed largely,
7: uh, and now it's much better, certainly, than it was 20, 30 years ago. They don't bring on debunkers, generally speaking, anymore, and uh, the subject is getting much more fairly treated. Uh, so I think it, the time is perfect to, to sort of step back and start to objectively look at the evidence here uh, of what's going on. And absolutely, people, there is a dampening factor coming from the ETs themselves. Uh, the whole missing time phenomena really isn't just with onboard encounters. This happens with sightings as well. Mm-hmm. People can see a UFO, have this amazing encounter, and suddenly forget it completely. So and that, I do think, is from the ETs, generally to sort of lessen the trauma that people might experience if they were to just start running around like a chicken with their head cut off, talking about what just happened to them. So it's a very strange subject to, to have to experience, uh, not you know much less investigate.
0: So Preston, you laid this book out uh, in a really interesting way. You've got Part 1, Healings of Injuries, Part 2, Healings of Minor Illnesses and Ailments. Part 3, Healings of Serious Illnesses and Diseases. Part 4, Beyond UFO Healings. And why do aliens make good doctors?
7: Yeah, I, I wanted to break this all down um, and sort of lead people, because this is a hard subject to approach. And with 300 I and mean, gosh, how am I going to organize this? And we've got some 80 accounts of just injuries alone. And I uh, don't think people realize that uh, ETs are absolutely perfectly suited to heal people. Because what I found is when you study onboard abduction accounts, there is, is a very strong medical theme that runs through it. Mm-hmm. The very first thing, or certainly the most common, thing people experience when taken on board is being physically examined. Uh, They're laid out on a table. They often describe it as looking like a doctor's room, a dentist's room. Uh, They describe these instruments with medical terminology. They often describe the ETs themselves as doctors. Um, And, you know, skin samples are taken, hair hair cuttings, um, nail clippings, blood samples. This whole thing, it's very, very much like your normal doctor's visit. And as you study the accounts, it becomes very apparent that they are doctors and are very interested in the human body and uh, are studying it intensely. In fact, it's not at all uncommon when someone's taken on board, they're laid out on a table, and this device is placed over them that is sort of a, a small device with screens on it, And they look at it, and it portrays the the inside of their body in full living color. They can see all their organs, their heart beating, the veins flowing with blood, and not only just the organ system, but sometimes energy systems, um, things that we don't have instruments to portray. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they do. So they clearly know an amazing amount about our body. Which is evidenced by the fact that they are healing what we would term chronic or terminal conditions, all kinds of diseases. There's a list of about fifty or a hundred conditions that we know they've healed, or you know that are documented at least. And many of them are chronic. I mean, like tuberculosis and diabetes and stage four cancer. There's forty cases of people who have been healed of cancer. So these guys absolutely show all the markers of being incredible doctors.
0: In, in the book, there is a story about a, um, a Native American tribe, and we find out from reading the account that they have in their uh, mythology, their lore, a relationship with these ETs and a nearby mountain that when right. members of their tribe were sick or injured... They would take them up the mountain, and perhaps leave them overnight, and come back and, and to find them healed and made new again.
7: Yeah, that comes from James Gilliland, um, who was a fairly well known contactee up in Washington, Mount Adams, I believe. And uh, this is shows that these UFO healing cases stretch back probably well more than a hundred years. I found I did find an early case dated nineteen. 19- Twenty or so, which was the earliest, uh, but I'm guessing it goes much farther back than that because of you know, stories like that, where people relied on ETs to heal them, and we've got other accounts like that that are current, actually. There's one in Peru, I believe it is, where a gentleman was visiting all these indigenous peoples uh, who are pretty much off the grid, so to speak, and came upon a village where there was a child who had been very badly injured due to a fall and looked like he was you know, on his way out, you know, not going to survive. And he offered to take this child to the closest hospital, which is, you know, fifty hundred miles away. Mm-hmm. And the parents were like, no, 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 don't worry, the sky gods will come. And uh, he's like, who? <laughs> who? The sky gods? They're like, yeah, they come and they keep us healthy. And sure enough, this UFO landed, female E.T. came out, took the boy on board, and a few minutes later, the boy comes running out, perfectly healed. Uh, this started a whole contactee experience for this guy, who ended up writing a book, an entire book about what he experienced. Mm-hmm. But it all began you know, coming upon this village and seeing this injured boy. So this is, again, another indication that E.T.'s are healing people. Not only across the world, but sort of on a covert basis, and uh, are our protectors in many ways—not you know nefarious, evil, hostile aliens, but rather friendly social workers and doctors <laughs> and teachers.
0: Preston, this is uh, Colleen, my co-host and producer, and. Uh Colleen, I shared with you off air that story that mm-hmm. we just talked about about the tribe and the, the mountain and healings. And mm-hmm. what can you add to that from your your knowledge base?
5: Well, to reintroduce myself, I am um, Colleen New Holy. I am a member of the Pine Ridge uh, Oglala Sioux Tribe Reservation up in Pine Ridge, South Dakota, um, and I've kind of grown up with like all these various, as people would call them, stories, but more like oral history. Mm-hmm. Um as as most people would probably know is that the Black Hills are a very sacred place for many plains tribes including you know my people and I've grown up uh with stories from like you know my father and from my mother about um you know all these things that used to happen and one of them was that there was these ceremonies that would go on, in the in, in the pine in the and Ridge, in the Black Hills, either near where Mount Rushmore is now, in the Needles, or towards uh, I think I think they 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 renamed um that mountain was a, what's it called now Point Black Elk or something I can't remember what they called it they they renamed it because it used to be Custer Peak or whatever or, Carney Carney Peak. Um, they renamed it, and I can't remember what the name is now, uh, but there used to be ceremonies that were held up that way um where they would take people who were either seriously ill, you know whether that was with like cancer or any of these other uh diseases that might hinder their ability to to live um with the rest of the tribe uh and they would be taken up there and they would be taken with i guess you know, what what people would say offering, <laughs> offerings, you know, going by the anthropological spe- speech. Um, and that's what would happen, was that they, they'd get them either the next morning or after a few days and they'd be well again. Or like if they had a physical injury, then they, then they would, you know, look like they've never been scarred or any of their limbs broken or, you know, any of that type of thing. Um, so that's that's why a lot of those areas up there are very sa- sacred to us, which is why you know we've we've stopped the uranium mining attempts and that kind of thing up there. So, uh, <clears throat> so
0: Preston, you've got in the book. Um, we've run through the ch- the chapters here on the from the minor to the really major types of illnesses and impairments. In the back of the book, then, um, you have a listing numerically of all of these cases, then, with a short description. So the reader can go to the back and read through those. The reader can go uh, to a specific uh, grouping in the book and read about uh, how people are healed in terms of this condition, that condition. Um, I'm going to bet that this is probably going to be not the only book on this that you write because I, I think that you're probably going to be opening the floodgates here with the publication of this book. You're going to get more and more reports.
4: Yeah,
7: I already am, actually. I contacted recently from a guy in Europe who had a healing experience. I haven't interviewed him yet, but apparently he was healed of uh, psoriasis. Uh, which doesn't surprise me. I've got a case of someone who was healed of eczema, another person who was healed of uh, a number of cases of people healed of skin conditions. Really, there isn't a condition out there that they haven't touched upon. Uh, I had to, you know, in terms of injuries, I broke it down into cases of people who had healings of, you know, their hands, their legs, their feet. Um, there isn't a body part that they haven't healed. Uh, it's just extraordinary how many cases there are. And uh, for skeptics who are skeptical of you know, one case or another, well, guess what? There's another case right after that. Um, like 15 cases of people who were healed of back pain. How can you deny that when they're all... Some of these people are describing the exact same medical instrument, the sort of cylindrical object with a sphere on the end of it, which is placed against the back, pulses of energy are go through them, and lo and behold their back is healed.
0: Yeah let's, <laughs> let's that's that's a good good entry point here for a deeper discussion. Let's talk about um some of the equipment or technology, the the bedside matter, if you will. Um, uh, let's talk about that. I'm also sh- surprised that sometimes when people have this onboard experience, they're told, the, one of the reasons is because you have this health problem or disease. And the person says, no, I don't. And they say, yeah, you do. And they show them. So it's like almost right. a, a first, first signal, an early warning. And then you start thinking that ETs, how did they know about this? Before the person actually knew about it, but tell yeah, us t- like tell us about um, the tools of the trade, if you will um, uh, and w- let's just talk about the back of what w- what happens
7: yeah uh, it's really interesting to see people from widely varying areas, uh, completely different people who know nothing about each other, describing essentially the same thing, and what I've found is When people have a healing experience, by and large, it's done with some sort of handheld instrument which emits a beam of light, which is certainly no normal beam of light Uh, when it comes to UFOs and light beams. Well, their technology with the electromagnetic spectrum is just mind-boggling, because these beams of light, yeah, they can paralyze a person, yeah, they can turn objects transparent and pull someone through a solid object they can levitate people but they can also heal of uh, cut or injury just with this beam of light and it, it's a very strange beam of light it's often described as opaque uh, it doesn't have the sort of inverse square law where it spreads out in the sort of geometric progression uh, it's much more like a laser light and uh Doesn't necessarily hurt or even have any sensation. It's usually described as white or blue, uh, sometimes green. Don't get a lot of reports of uh, red or orange for whatever reason, or but yellow. You know, various colors do turn up. Purple and uh, by and large, it's yeah. These very small handheld instruments, which people have a lot of trouble describing. Often described as like a wand like instrument, perhaps. And uh, the healings themselves, I mean, like the cancer cases, are very consistent. Almost all of the cancer cases are described, cancer healing cases are described in the same manner. A person, in most cases, is taken on board a craft. A lot of these healings are just, you know, in a person's home, perhaps, or while they're driving along and a beam of light is sent down. Or maybe a UFO just flies by, but when a person has you know advanced cancer, they're taken on board, they're laid out, and they undergo a long operation which involves surgery, very much like ours. And generally speaking, people says, "Oh yeah, it was a painful operation," and involving the use of multiple instruments. Uh, it's very interesting because about 10 15 percent of the cases of healings don't involve any instruments at all, and instead ETs use what we would term uh, psychic healing, I guess, or mind power. And this is very effective in some cases. One gentleman I interviewed, Michael Carter, suffered from a blood clot in his leg. Great guy, I'm sure you've talked to him. Uh, He's a social worker, received awards for it, was commended by President Clinton for his amazing work to uh, erase racism, he has this terrible blood clot in his leg. His doctor is horrified, he's you know, going on blood thinning drugs. His leg is swollen to twice its size, and it's gonna take several months for this to be, you know, put back to normal. When he has this experience, he wakes up, and there's this human-looking ET. Uh, you know, we use the term Nordic. I don't really like that term because I don't think it's accurate many of these human-looking ETs aren't Nordic in the sense of, you know, blonde hair and blue eyes and so on. Mm-hmm. In his case, they were. Uh, he, he saw this very beautiful man with long hair, wearing a robe, and uh, he says he was a very muscular person, had a you know great body, very tall, very strong. He holds up, and he's standing at the foot of his bed, <laughs> holds up his hand, and out comes this beam of light, which strikes his uh, chest, his face, his entire front of his body dazzles him to the point where he falls back asleep and he wakes up in the morning, he's very eager to tell his family what happened last night, and stands up and looks down at his leg and his leg is perfectly healthy. And not only that, it's really interesting because as he's examining his leg, he realizes that his veins look like they've been rerouted you know, change to some extent. His arteries are not quite the same as they were. So I don't know how this was affected just through mind power alone, but it was. He, of course, went straight to the doctor and said, look, look at my leg. (laughs) Doctor's like, oh my God, what happened? And uh, Michael did not really want to say, oh, you you know, ETs came visited me. (laughs) So he just said, just be happy for me. You know, I'm healed. The doctor was pretty upset, which they usually are. And uh, yeah, mind power is definitely a factor here, which speaks to the fact that many of the people who come away from this experience themselves feel that they have gained the ability to heal through the same method, mind power or hands-on healing
0: or Reiki, some aspect of that. This is Preston Dennett, and we're talking about his brand new book that runs in excess of five hundred pages, The Healing Power of UFOs. Three hundred true accounts of people healed by extraterrestrials. There are a number of reports in your book that talk about people scheduled for corrective life saving surgery and they have a ufo onboard experience they're healed and prior to surgery the doctors do the initial cat scan mri testing and they find out that the condition is no longer there so yeah, right. th- their only fallback is that there has been a somehow a misdiagnosis
7: yeah, I mean, some, some pe- people do tell their doctors full on. Jim Schaefer, um, he was suffering from cancer of his neck, was fully up front with his doctors and says, listen, ETs came in to do this to me, because he's had to go to the doctor before with mysterious medical injuries that he's you know wakes up with. He woke up once with a broken foot, has no idea how it happened, had cuts on his body, puncture wounds and goes to the doctor and says, listen, you know, I think I'm having ET experiences. Please examine me. And uh, his doctor's like, wow, oh my god, yeah, it looks I can't explain this. And so he did tell the doctors when he got healed, and their only choice was to believe, in it, believe him. Uh, one case involving a lady who had a cyst in her uh, fallopian tubes, she it was MRI'd, it was x rayed it was Causing her all kinds of pain and problems, uh, was going to have it removed, and shortly before the surgery, had an experience. Went to go have surgery, and the doctors were really upset because they couldn't find the cyst anymore. And not only that, it, uh, there was fluid in her fallopian tube that's only present after having surgery. So the kind of accused her of having surgery. She denied it. And they said, well, we know you did because here is a laser scar right here on your abdomen. We know you had surgery. And she just kind of shrugged her shoulders and refused to talk about it. Mm -hmm. So some doctors are very upset about it, for sure. And what I find very interesting in some of these cases is this sort of, I call it this last minute Just about to go forth, and then they'll heal a person, um, but not until then. So I don't know why they wait to the last minute, but case after case after case, a person is literally on their way to the hospital, or even in the hospital in a few scattered cases, just about to undergo surgery when the ETs show up.
0: Preston, when we come back from the bottom of the hour break, let's talk about um, our late common friend, um, uh, Hunter Gray, uh, formerly known as John Salter, and uh, his his experiences. Sound good?
7: That sounds great. Yeah, amazing man.
0: Okay, this is Preston Dennett. We're talking about the healing power of UFOs. I'm Scott Colborne with Colleen and you guys and gals. We are exploring unexplained phenomena. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back.
2: Hey, the voice of the blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD.
6: Support for This Week in Lincoln comes from the Bourbon Theater, Duffy's Tavern, Crescent Moon Coffee, Metalark Coffee, and the Zoo Bar. This is live music happening This Week in Lincoln. On Saturday, March 9th, the Taylor Scott Band plays Bodega's Alley at 9. The Zoo Bar hosts a 9 o'clock show with Could Be Cursed, Dignity, and The Dancing Dead. The Midnight Wanderers begin at 8 p.m. at Crescent Moon Coffee, and Alive or Just Breathing starts at 8.30 at the Bourbon Theatre. That's live music happening this week in Lincoln. Full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock and one freezing cold rushing black mountain river. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now. But there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council.
8: Far from the din of commercial culture, and just this side of the abstract, is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM.
0: Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena with Colleen and you guys and gals and our special guest, Preston Dennett. Next week's guest is Dan Baldwin, the co-author with Dwight and Rhonda Hull of the new book, Conversations with Spirits of the Southwest, More Adventures into the Paranormal. I know uh, one of my Facebook friends had said this week, on one of our threads that she had just purchased and was reading your book. So uh, you've got a a number of people that are getting excited about this book. One of the people that you and I um, uh, met, and I regard as being uh, that I was just so lucky to have met this individual, was the late Hunter Gray, formerly known as John Salter. This is a gentleman that was active in the 1960s and labor and civil rights work. Uh, He's worked his entire adult life to try to erase boundaries for uh, social justice, equality, fairness, and uh, just a brilliant guy. And I think it was 1998, he had uh, a conscious experience with, Uh, his son. And he had I think almost 20 items medically that he cataloged that um, his health was augmented and or improved with this interaction with the ETs. Can you comment further there, uh, Preston?
4: Yeah, this is
7: an unusual case, which I would probably more term is a health upgrade because at the time of his experience, he wasn't necessarily suffering from any particular health condition. He was fine. And he and his son are driving through Richland Center, Wisconsin, come upon a UFO and experience missing time. Over the next few weeks, he naturally recalled what happened. They were taken on board. They saw gray type ETs. Uh, They were each given several injections. It was a fairly benign experience. Um, They weren't like terrified or anything. There wasn't a whole lot of communication going on and uh, they were let go. Uh, It was immediately afterwards, things started to happen. One of the first things was he no longer had any desire to smoke tobacco. He was a heavy smoker at the time and that just faded away very quickly. And other weird things started to happen. He started to notice his hair was growing thicker He started getting 5 o'clock shadow. He had scars from previous injuries that suddenly started to fade away. And just went on from there. He actually grew a couple of inches. Mind you, this is a middle-aged man, or, you know, a young man. Mm -hmm. Uh, Certainly beyond the growing years, you would think. But no, they did something to his body to make him actually grow more, grow in height, and his feet grew uh, in several sizes, increased in size. His cuts started healing faster. His nails had to be clipped almost on a daily basis. And just, he stopped getting sick from the flu. And like you said, he eventually cataloged about 20 physiological improvements and really enjoyed excellent health through most of his life. At an advanced age, he uh, Contracted lupus, but also overcame that, and uh, which he feels is absolutely due to his interaction with ETs. Uh, and I think it's very interesting that you know his social work may have been a factor in all this, because that's a pattern I see with other people who are being healed. They're often social workers. That comes up a lot, or teachers, uh, writers. Uh, entertainers, inventors, doctors, people who are doing good work for humanity in some capacity. And that was certainly true for him. He was very prominent in the social working field. And I'm wondering if that's why he was healed. Uh, I think that's definitely a factor there. And his is one of many cases of people who have what I would call a health upgrade. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who've had this onboard experience tell me that they go to the doctor and the doctors are just astonished. They're like, well, you're 70 years old, but you have the heart of a 15-year-old. Or they just enjoy this excellent health. Many of them feel that their lives have been not only, uh, you know, their health improved, but their lifespan actually extended. Mm -hmm. And some people say, oh, they made me stronger. There's a case from Artie Sixkiller Clark involving a bike racer you know, on a just a push-pedal bike. And uh, he had an experience where he was taken on board. He doesn't really remember it at all. Uh, but following his experience, he became the fastest person in his team and really all around, which he directly attributes to his ET encounter because he certainly wasn't like that before. So, yeah, faster, stronger, healthier, longer-lived. This comes up quite
0: a bit. Do you think that, that the ETs, in the case of Hunter Gray, helping him to keep on keeping on because of his important lifelong work in social justice, labor, civil rights, is that an explanation why the ETs are healing select individuals and not everybody Absolutely a factor.
7: It took me a long time to come up with it because really there aren't a lot of patterns as to who is being healed and why. It's evenly divided between men and women. It's certainly spread all across our planet. ETs show no signs of being prejudiced in in any way. Uh, One pattern I did find is that people who have a long history of UFO encounters, particularly extensive encounters or frequent encounters, are far more likely to be healed than, say, the average person. Uh, and in fact, there are a number of cases people who are friends of abductees or contactees uh, who got a healing, apparently as a result of you know their association with this contactee. But that's not the only pattern there, because there are a good one third maybe of the cases where people have no prior association whatsoever with UFOs, and in some cases, you know, when I first started researching this subject, I thought. I found maybe two or three cases of people who asked for a healing and received it. There was a case in West Virginia of a gentleman who had an impacted wisdom tooth and was having an abduction and asked the ETs to heal it, and they did. Uh, but now I've got a lot more cases, a much larger database, and there are a good number of cases where people have asked for a healing and received it. Some of these people do have a history of encounters, but some don't. There was a lady who was suffering total renal failure. Well, her kidneys were not working, she went to her family doctor, and the doctor was like, oh my God, you are in total kidney failure. You are going to die if you don't go to the emergency room right now. And she said, okay. And instead of going to the emergency room, she went straight home and called her family, called all her friends, called her employer, all her coworkers, everyone she knew, and said, please, please pray for me. I am dying. I've got renal failure. I need you to pray. And started this whole prayer circle, and she herself prayed. And that night, she was visited by ETs, not Greys, sort of humanoids, short humanoids, who used sort of uh, mind power, or they massaged her abdomen for a good hour or two, and uh, she blacked out at some point. Woke up. It was not a scary experience for her. <coughs> when she woke up, she was fine. She. She went to the doctor, and he was absolutely baffled and said, well, gosh, you know, I must have misdiagnosed you. Um, I don't understand it. But she asked for healing, and she was actually, you know, praying to angels, is what she thought, and God, and uh, said the ETs came and healed her. She ended up having a follow-up experience a few months later, and she was taken on board, and the ETs, you know, displayed her organs in full color, holographic color right next to her and showed her her kidneys and they were fine and then they showed her her liver and it was all black and it didn't look right and they said you have to stop drinking diet coke look what it's doing to your liver so they will actually dispense diet advice in a number of cases uh but the point is yeah recommend you know probably not a good idea to pray to et's to heal people because there's just not enough cases to make it worthwhile well i'm changing my mind Um, i think it does happen Uh, i'm not going to say it will happen there's no guarantee about you know it doesn't make a whole lot of sense about who is being healed and why and why they're not healing everybody these are questions that we're just not prepared to answer at this point but yeah they do
0: Uh, This is Preston Dennett. His website is prestondennett.weebly.com. In the back of the book, there is also, uh, chapter by chapter, um, extensive footnotes and sources that are listed here. Um, Case number 309, probably circa 2007, um, Morency or Moronkai, Arizona, a male abductee asks the ETs to heal his son of muscular dystrophy. The ETs provide vials of medicine which allegedly cure the son. Your perspective right. when I read your conclusions chapter is that there is a reality of ETs, extraterrestrials, interacting with humans. It's historical, it's documented, and you've come to the conclusion that, indeed, unequivocally, ETs are healing humans.
7: Absolutely. I I don't see any way to get around the fact that this is one of their primary agendas. U.T.s have multiple agendas. We know this. We know that they're hybridiz- hybridizing with us, certainly the grays. We know that they're, say, hovering over our minds, taking our medals. We know they're very interested in our advancement into space, as evidenced by the fact that they closely monitor our rocket launches and our travels into space. So they have multiple agendas. And the fact that there are so many of these healing cases, and these 300 represent probably 1% less of the actual number of cases. Because mm-hmm. again, most people don't talk about this, particularly if you have a on-board experience or a face-to-face encounter, or God forbid it, you know, a healing. People don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. So this is really, really just the tip of the iceberg. And I don't see how you can get around the fact that these healings are taking place. And while some people feel like, oh yeah, you know, I don't think the ETs are doing it for, you know, out of altruistic motives. Uh, They feel like, in some cases, that the ETs are healing them like they would a lab rat, a lab animal, or, you know, perhaps their prize cow or their steer to produce babies or what have you. But that's the minority. Most of the people who have a healing experience are grateful and come away from their experience feeling that this was a benevolent encounter. Many people feel like the ETs are their friends. Some feel a familial relationship. They call them family. Mm -hmm. Um, Some are told that they do have ET heritage in some respect, meaning past lives, perhaps. Um, It's not always carefully explained. But I'm just astonished at the cases of, like, involving very young kids, you know, infants, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, People who are, you know, not what we would consider important, influential people. Or like Elsie, a lady in World War II, uh, who was, I believe, 67 years old and suffered from jaundice, very sick with it, was healed. Another gentleman, Dudley, he was in his 70s, suffering from prostate problems. He was healed. So what benefit is it to ETs to, you know, heal the elderly? They're not really going to use them for medical experiments. Uh, I think it some of these cases, you can't get around that this is done through altruistic motives.
4: Mm-hmm.
7: And Certainly, this is what the experiencers believe, and they're the ones who have had this experience. So if we're going to look for answers to who the ETs are and what their agenda is, the only place we really have to look is to the people who are, having these experiences and this is what they're telling us not all of them are super duper you know friendly there's a bell curve that we would see just like with humans but it's skewed skewed way towards the positives i could easily prove ets are
0: more benevolent than i could with humanity for sure (laughs) that's well 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 said uh, Preston, we've yeah. got just a couple minutes left here, so I'm going to literally turn the microphone over to you so you can speak about anything that you wish. If there's a point you want to bring up that we haven't fully covered, please please do so.
7: Yeah. What I, One thing I would like to mention is, as I'm going through all these healing accounts, and uh, here, well, let me just briefly mention some of these conditions that are being healed so people can get an idea of how widespread this is. Um, there are two cases of people healed of AIDS, uh, appendicitis, arterial sclerosis, 20 some cases of arthritis healings, asthma, blood clots, burns, cancer, uh, Crohn's disease, several places, cases of colds and flus, diabetes, diphtheria, epilepsy, I mean, it just goes on and on. Leprosy even, leukemia, kidney stones, Uh, multiple sclerosis, muscular dystrophy, pneumonia, polio, rheumatism. And what I found is I'm going over this list. I'm like, this is astonishing. What is going on here? I looked up the 10 top causes of death in the United States and the world. Uh, The lists are very similar. And what I found is that ETs have actually cured every single one, people of every single one of the top 10 causes of death. In the United States, suicide is the 10th leading cause of death. It's tragic. It's a huge problem. And ETs have cured, I found, three, four cases of people who were cured of suicidal depression. One gentleman actually had the gun up to his head, cocked, loaded, and was about to end his life when a gray appeared. And he said at that exact moment, all thoughts of suicide just left him. It completely voided the suicide, him. and he was no longer suicidally depressed. So these ETs are healing people, not only physically, but mentally, and uh, helping people. There are people who are helped out of car accidents. or One lady was being assaulted by a gentleman, and a UFO comes zooming down and chases the assaulter away from her. Good. Saves her life. Another person is about to run over a mattress on the freeway and a UFO shines down a beam of light showing him that, oh, you're about to have a car accident. Stop. So they help people in all kinds of ways. And I think that's a really important factor that I really wanted to get across today. And Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on the show and giving me the opportunity to let people know that ETs can be friendly, very friendly.
0: Preston, it's uh, always a pleasure to have you on the show, and you're one of our favorite guests. We appreciate your work, and I hope that you um, receive many accolades that are well-deserved over this brand-new book. The Healing Power of UFOs, 300 True Accounts of People Healed by Extraterrestrials. If you'd like to contact Preston Dennett, type in his name, into any search engine, he's going to pop right up. Prestondennett.weebly.com You'll also find Preston Dennett on Facebook. My friend, what are you doing for the rest of the weekend?
7: Oh, well, we've been having so much rain that my lawn is growing faster than I can mow it, <laughs> so I'll be doing that. <laughs> And uh, just made some homemade chicken pot pies. I'll be having that for dinner tonight. I'm super excited. Yum. And, uh, <laughs> right? And to just doing, yeah, probably some more writing on my next book. Not from here, volume four. Already working on that. And Gosh, the things I'm finding out. Oof, so exciting. All about the more unusual types of encounters.
0: And I've got some real humdingers in there. Wow. We're yeah, always the... We're always the better off For having talked with you, Preston Thank you so much
7: Hey, thank you, Scott
0: And I kid you not, folks uh, Cooling here
5: mm-hmm. take,
0: take this book, just heal, heal this Feel this book
5: See yeah, what that, I mean? Yeah, that is pretty hefty
0: That is 500 mm-hmm. plus pages uh, And it is relentless mm-hmm. uh, uh, I predict this is going to be An important book for many, many people and I'm so glad that we had a chance to talk with Preston here. Uh, I am overjoyed as a friend and member of our team here. Preston's with us every first Saturday of the month with the seen and the unseen, and I'm so excited for him with this publication. Stay tuned next week for Dan Baldwin. He returns as co-author of a brand-new book, Conversations with Spirits of the Southwest, more adventures into the paranormal. I'm gonna go have lunch, and then I think I'm gonna play guitar for most of the afternoon. Colleen, what are you doing?
5: Um, I'll probably get home, probably make lunch, probably play some video games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like like today, today for me, it's kind of like a relaxing kind of weekend, at least for me. I'm not sure about uh, any of my other relatives. <laughs>
0: And Vic, you're over here off my right shoulder. Oh, yes. What are you going to lead off with today? What's your opening track? Do you know yet?
8: Dave Clark Five.
0: Oh no way! Yes. Oh, give me give me five, man! Ooh. I one of my favorite bands. Okay, yes. the Dave Clark Five. What mm-hmm. a great great first song. Uh, folks, thanks so much for listening. And uh, Preston Dennett, again, thank you, sir, for all your good work, past, present, and future. Ladies and gentlemen, be kind to each other. Thank you for your support in all ways. Oh, and by the way, thank you to Rosemary Ellen Guiley and to Shelley from Canada who have given us the prepaid phone cards. We used them today to call our guests. So, Rosemary and Shelley, thank you so much. Thanks to Colleen for her production assistance. I'm Scott Colborne, and until next week, walk in beauty.